0: thank you for uh, your calling and your gifting on his life lord having heard some about the message i know i believe this is the your word to us this morning so i ask for open hearts open minds willing hands and i ask holy spirit that you come fill adam again and release your word of life to us this morning in jesus name amen thanks randy um Good, all right. Um, can you hear me? Okay, all right, all right. Now I'm on. All right. Uh, wow, we've had uh, two really good brief sermons already, and hopefully I can make it a third. Um, so, as as Randy said, my name is Adam Casel. I mean that sincerely. I was not. That was not poking. That was not a joke. Um, my name is Adam Casel. I have the privilege of being executive pastor here, which means sometimes I get to get up and speak, and I'm really excited about. Um, what I get to share this morning. Um, but as a way of uh, introduction, for me growing up, I had um, a really positive view of weddings. Now, I know part of that is the, uh, the joy of youthful ignorance, uh, but I didn't even, I honestly didn't know until college that there could be drama surrounding a wedding. I really didn't know that. Uh, for both sides of my family growing up, weddings were parties. They were so much fun. They were these big celebrations, and um, we just we loved getting together. Now, we went to more weddings on my dad's side for some reason, and his maternal side of the family is Irish Catholic, and they fulfilled all the positive stereotypes of Irish Catholics that you can think of. All right, these... Weddings were not just celebrations, they were family reunions. And I was treated with such warmth by my dad's aunts and uncles and cousins. There was lots of laughter, reminiscing about the good old times and then telling uh, more recent stories just for the sake of making everybody else laugh. And this morning we're going to look at a passage where Jesus is at a wedding and some really good things happen. But before we get there, I want to remind us that we're in a series called Of Jesus, where we've been looking at some of the parables that Jesus taught, some of the questions that he asked, and now we're looking at some of the miracles that Jesus performed. A couple of weeks ago, Lori did a great job teaching from John 6 on Jesus feeding the 5,000, and she gave us this challenge to be expectant of miracles from the Jesus who multiplies and doesn't lack anything. And she reminded us of the famous John Wimber saying. John Wimber was uh, the the catalytic leader of the Vineyard Movement, of which we're a part of. He he loved to say that faith is spelled R-I-S-K. And she wants us, uh, Lori was challenging us, to take steps of faith to R-I-S-K with others. Now, Uh, In general, what are the purpose of miracles? I want to talk about miracles just in general real briefly. The purpose was that they pointed to the presence of the kingdom of God. That whenever Jesus performed a miracle, it was the, the kingdom of God breaking in and changing something. Some of the miracles that Jesus performed were done out of his divinity But most were done by him being filled with the Holy Spirit and following the Holy Spirit's leading. And none of the the miracles that he performed were done in a vacuum. They all pointed to some aspect of the kingdom of God. Now, there's four categories that we could probably fit each miracle in. There were miracles over creation, like when Jesus calmed the, the storm in the sea. And when he walked on water, there were transformational miracles, like when he cursed the fig tree and it withered. And then uh, when he fed the 4,000 and the 5,000, he performed restorative miracles where limbs would grow back. The blind could see, the deaf could hear, the mute could speak, and the sick were healed. And then he raised the dead. I think that's pretty self-explanatory. So if you have a Bible with you, turn with me to John chapter 2, and I want to give a little context for John to help us um, as in our own times or maybe in a group as we read through John to better understand uh, what's happening in this gospel account. Now, some of these things I'm going to reference, my, there will be more information in my notes, which, which will be on the website, so I'd encourage you to, to check that out. Uh, one of the things to know about John is that he loves the number seven. There are seven miracles in this account, and John calls them signs. The Greek word is simeon. The New Testament was written in Greek. And a simeon is more than a miracle. It's a sign that reveals something that was previously hidden. So what John is is saying is being revealed is God's plan for how he's going to save humanity by Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection. And also what's being revealed is Jesus' identity, that for 30 years nobody really knew who he was until he started his public ministry. Each sign is a revelation of who Jesus is. In John chapter 1, there are seven titles given to Jesus by other people. Throughout this gospel account, there are two groups of seven I am statements. Some of them, one group is titles like I am the bread of life or I am the way, the truth and the life. And the other is just a statement like when he says before Abraham was, I am. Or when he was in the garden to be arrested and Jesus asked the soldiers, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth, and he responds, I am, and they fall over backwards. Now, oftentimes it's easy to miss because our translations add he in there, I am he, uh, but in the Greek it's just I am. Again, those references will be um, in my notes. Now, specifically about our passage, this is the first miracle or sign in John's account, and it takes place at a wedding. This is probably a familiar passage for a lot of us, but there's a lot more happening here than what we may realize. And we should ask the question, why did this take place at a wedding? Why is this Jesus's first miracle? Let's read the passage and and find out. John chapter 2 says, On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus's mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus's mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw out some and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of his signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples There they stayed for a few days. Let's pray. Father, um, thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak to us. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would open our eyes, our hearts, our ears to receive what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. right, so we've got a wine theme going on this morning. This is the only account of Jesus at a wedding. Now, Jesus mentions weddings in his parables, and he refers to himself as the bridegroom. But this is the only wedding that we read of that Jesus actually attends. And we're not exactly sure why he's there. Maybe it's because he's staying with Nathanael, and Nathanael lived in Cana. And at that time, if you had a wedding, everybody in your village came. Or perhaps it was a family friend, which explains why Mary was there. So we're not exactly sure why, but what we know is Jesus is not a wedding crasher. Although, if he's going to do things like this, I wouldn't mind him showing up at my wedding. Now, weddings during this time could last up to a week. They were huge parties. And everybody was expected to bring a gift and to, to honor the new couple with that gift. And during Jesus' time, the hope for the Messianic age, the Jewish people were looking forward to this time of the Messiah reigning in Israel. The common imagery that they would use was wedding imagery. So Jesus is ushering in the Messianic age at a local wedding. The things that happen at this wedding tell us about the Messianic age. Here and now. Now, another significant part of this wedding is that they run out of wine. We don't know why Mary cares, unless this is a family friend, but but she's concerned about the fact that they've run out of wine. So, today, if we hear of a wedding running out of alcohol, we say, Whoa, those guests were big drinkers. Or we put it on the venue or caver, like how could they not provide enough alcohol? That's bad business. But at that time, the, the shame of running out of wine would fall on the, the new couple and their families. So this is the big conflict. You've got a wedding, and they've run out of wine. Jesus' response to Mary seems rude to us. But that's kind of a translation and cultural thing. It's not odd for Jesus to address Mary as woman. In English, it feels weird to say even nicely. I couldn't imagine addressing a woman as woman. Woman, whatever. Like, let alone my mom or wife. Coming home at the end of the day. Woman, how can I help with dinner? Woman, you seem like you've had a really tough day. Is there anything I can do to help you? I did ask Carrie about this, and she said, "If I ask these questions or if I could turn water into wine, then I can't address her as woman." So all right, So again, this is not rude for Jesus to address his mom this way, but it is inflexible. He's letting his mom know what is your concern is no longer my concern. I'm actually now about the Father's business. There's a significant family dynamic that is lost on a lot of us because Mary is trying to use her position as Jesus' mom to get what she wants. And she's realizing now she can't. Something happens with Mary. So she tells Jesus, they've run out of wine. Jesus says, not my problem. She tells the servants, do whatever he tells you. This is the the crescendo of the message where we're going to spend the rest of our time. Mary herself is experiencing a spiritual and cultural shift, and the passage actually shifts here as well. Everything that's been happening thus far is really for this interaction. It's informative and formative for us. This morning, I'm going to give you a surefire way to see a miracle. Not saying it's going to happen every time. This isn't a formula or a talisman that if, if you do that, if you do A, B, then C will happen. What I'm saying is, this, this is an essential step if you want to see a miracle. If you do this on a regular basis, you'll see a miracle. Five simple words to remember. You don't need an acronym or a mnemonic device. Here it is. Are you ready? Do, Whatever he. Tells you. Let me say it again. Do whatever he tells you. No qualifications, no exceptions. Do whatever he tells you unless. Do whatever he tells you except. It's do whatever he tells you. In the gospel accounts, we see that the miracles and the signs reveal who Jesus is. Therefore, we do whatever he tells us. John's using his account to show that Jesus is the Messiah of Israel and the Lord of all the earth. Therefore, we do whatever he tells us if we are his followers. This is obedience, plain and simple. Easy to say, hard to do. I recognize that, but that's what it boils down to. And whatever Jesus tells us to do, it's for his glory and for our benefit. He's never going to lead us into some place to intentionally harm us. It's like prayer. If we don't pray, we won't see answered prayer. Right? Not saying good things won't happen, but if we don't pray, we don't see God answer prayer. I'm going to come back to this, but I want to look at this sign a little bit more. Jesus tells the servants to fill the stone jars. This is a teaching moment for us. Again, they fill it to the brim. They don't leave any room for interpretation like, how full is full? If we do up to an inch, is it still full? What about six inches? Is it still full? They fill it to the brim. They ensure that it can't be any more full. Now, we know that these jars collectively hold 120 to 180 gallons of water that gets turned into wine. That's about 32 to 48 bottles of wine or maybe two and a half to four cases. That's a lot of wine that Jesus makes instantaneously. I'm no wine expert, but I know you need at least three things to make wine. Water, grapes, and thyme. Jesus had one of those. He had water. He not only makes wine, but he makes the best wine that they've had all week. This speaks to the Messianic age. God has saved the best for last. This is the best time in humanity. Since Jesus' resurrection and the Spirit has been poured out, this is the best time. And it's only going to get better when Jesus comes back. God is saving the best for last. These servants got to see this miracle firsthand. They were in on the secret. And it's because they did what Jesus told them to do. Fill the the jars with water. Mary says, do whatever he tells you. Jesus says, fill the jars. They fill it to the brim. Again, this sign miracle is primarily about Jesus and about his kingdom, but secondarily it shows us what it looks like to participate in the kingdom of God. There's richness and abundance in the kingdom of God. Lori spoke to this a couple of weeks ago when she talked about feeding the 5,000. There's no place for a scarcity mindset for those of us who want to live in the kingdom of God. Jesus is showing us, that the Messianic age is here and Jesus is the true bridegroom who loves and provides for his bride, the church. That's you and me. A scarcity mindset looks at life from a place of lack, shortage, and problems. It often thinks about we don't have enough or we won't have enough. Anytime extra expenses come into our life, we think someone or something is against us. Or we chalk it up to God doesn't love me as much as the other people who he's provided more than enough for. Even when we get financial gifts, they're not enjoyed. We either have to spend them quickly because it's going to be gone anyway, or we've got to save it out of fear because we think it means there's an extra expense that's coming and God's just being kind of nice to me and giving me a heads up. This doesn't apply just to finances, but our health and our career, right? We, we may not even make plans to go on a vacation because we think something's going to come up anyway and I'm not going to be able to go. Or we don't apply for a job or a promotion because we're not going to get it anyway. And it's better to not apply and not get our hopes up than to be disappointed. Now, I know this because I'm in this process of coming out of that mindset, Recently, I was able to notice a shift for myself because we had a few extra expenses. Recently, in the past, I would have said, "Man, we're just scraping by. This always happens." You know, that thought would have come in, and I would have agreed with it. That thought came in, I said, "No, that's not true. We're, We're not just scraping by. We haven't had this happen in over a year. We're in a we're in a good place. We're in the best place we've ever been. This is life. There's bumps in the road." And, in fact, earlier this summer, God saved us about $2,300. So our, our air conditioning went out. We, I called the home warranty. They sent a company out who said, you need a whole new unit. It's going to cost $2,500. Long story short, uh, the equipment came. They didn't want to install it. Another company came out and made a real quick repair and filled the refrigerant. It cost us, like, a little over $200. So God, God sent us a, an ethical company and saved us about $2,300. Now, I have no idea why it played out the way that it did, but, you know, God provided. Now, I'm not saying let's be positive thinkers because there's so much negativity in the world right now. What I am saying is let's have an abundance mindset because of what Jesus has done for us. He came to show that there's an abundance. More than that, he gave himself for us, If he didn't withhold himself, he's not going to withhold anything else from us. Paul wrote to the Romans. He said, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with Jesus, graciously give us all things? The Bible doesn't say, and I'm not saying this morning, you'll be rich or get whatever you want. What we do see is, in the scriptures. And what I am saying is we won't lack anything. Now, if you're in a place where you don't have something that you feel like you need or you really want, it's not because you're not loved. I don't know why. Right? That's maybe something with you and the Lord, but for whatever reason, it's better for you not to have that right now or it's just not time. Now, an abundance mindset is tied to do whatever he tells you because sometimes doing whatever he tells us means praying for a total stranger. Sometimes it's just filling a stone jar. Like, Jesus, how does that solve the wine shortage? Right? We, it doesn't, it, we say, Jesus, here's my problem. He gives us solu- a solution. And we think, that doesn't solve my problem. But we do whatever he tells you. Sometimes it's paying for somebody's coffee or meal, or groceries. And a scarcity mindset keeps us from being open because we think, well, what if I need that later? What if it, what if it doesn't work out the way I'm, I'm hoping? Sometimes we just notice our coworkers or our neighbors to have the courage to go up and say, hey, this may be none of my business, and feel free to say so, but is everything okay? You seem down, you seem distracted, you seem like you have something on your mind, and then being willing to listen if they say yes. Now, I'm not trying to lower the bar of seeing a miracle. What I'm saying, in fact, I want us to have a broad vision of what that could look like. It's tied to us learning to do whatever He tells you. A couple of weeks ago, Lori shared about Heidi Baker and the the story of having all these orphans in her apartment and trying to feed them with a pot of soup. And it reminded me of a guy I know of uh, named Kurt Salerno. I have some friends who've done some ministry with him, like for a long weekend or for a week. Um, He leads a ministry called Church on the Streets down in Atlanta, Georgia, and they work with the really poor and the homeless, And um, like I said, I've had some friends go down there. One in particular is a guy named Joe. And Joe and I would meet on a regular basis. And when we were trying to get to know each other, talking about like some of these key faith moments that we've had. And Joe was at at a place a few years before that where he was just getting serious about his his walk with Jesus. And so he's down serving with church on the streets. And one of the nights, they're, they're there is when they're feeding everybody and Joe is in charge of scooping out the soup and they bring one pot of soup to him and they say, this is all we have. We're trusting God's going to provide, give two scoops to every person. Don't skimp. God will provide. Joe's standing there looking at this pot of soup in the line of hundreds of people. And he's like, this isn't going to work, but he does what he, what he was told. He's serving scooping out a couple of scoops every time. And he said every once in a while he would look down and he would see the pot of soup rise up. And everybody got through the line and there was still soup left over. Joe did what he was told and he saw God provide an abundance of soup. Now, yeah. Now, Kurt Salerno himself has an interesting story. He has a significant speech impediment. He stutters and stammers whenever he has a conversation with somebody. And at one point, God told him, I want you to have a preaching ministry. You don't have to know much about public speaking to know that's not a good uh, challenge to have. And he had this Moses-type moment with God where he said, I can't. Because I stutter and I stammer, I'm not going to get up and preach. And God said, didn't I make the mouth? You get up and speak. I'll take care of the rest. And so whenever he gets up to preach, he doesn't stutter and stammer. So he does what God has told him to do. And God provided an abundance of overcoming the speech impediment that he has. Last story. um, When we were at the Evanston Vineyard, this is about 15 years ago, the previous worship pastor and his family were back from Africa. They had moved to Africa to do uh, some ministry over there, and um, his name is John Willison, and his wife's name is Carol. And they were just sharing an update on life over in Africa, and Carol is a teacher at international school there. And Carol befriended another teacher uh, who who didn't know Jesus. And through this relationship, Carol was able to lead this other woman to the Lord. And they, um, this woman was having a lot of marriage problems. And so Carol said, well, we're going to pray because I believe God heals marriages. So we're going to pray. And she felt this just incredible boldness come over her. And every day they would be praying for, together for this woman's marriage. And Carol would pray things like, you know, I want her husband to come home and say this, or or to do this thing. And the next day, the woman would come in and say, "Carol, the thing that you prayed." My husband would say, "He said it." Or, you know, another day, Carol, he 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 did what you prayed he would do. And Carol's like, like shocked, like uh, just so you know, it doesn't always work this way. Like I don't know what's going on, but she was faithful to do what God told her to do, to pray boldly, to pray specific prayers, and saw an abundance of. Uh, prayers answered. And so for this morning, I've got some questions for us to think about, to to spend some time with the Lord going over. The first is, what is God telling you to do? Is there anything that God has told you to do that you've been slow to obey? You know, something we've said with, with our kids, and I know other families have used this, Slow obedience is disobedience. So is there something that God is calling you to do or to give up that you've been slow to obey? The other question is, do you have an abundance mindset or a scarcity mindset? That's kind of a spectrum. So if you would say you have an abundance mindset, where are the areas that you still have a scarcity mindset? It's a it's a process for us. It doesn't change from one to the other necessarily overnight. Lynn, if you want to come up. We're going to, um, as I wrap up, we going to go into some ministry time. But to conclude, Jesus came doing sign miracles to reveal to us the kingdom of God and his identity as the Messiah. And since Jesus is the Messiah, and if we want to follow him, that means we do whatever he tells us. We have the confidence that his kingdom is a kingdom of abundance, and we won't lack anything that we need. When we do what Jesus tells us, we will see miracles happen again not every time but if we make that a regular habit we'll see things happen sometimes it's specific prayers being answered exactly sometimes it's buying a coffee for someone else or praying for a stranger our role is to listen and to have the courage to obey so I invite you to stand uh, we're gonna do do ministry time, um, some individual individual time, or feel free as family or, or group of friends. And I want we we've got time, so I want you to take some time before the Lord, thinking about these questions and answering, asking Him to search your heart and to answer these honestly. God, what are You telling me to do today? And thinking about, is there anything that he's told you that you've been slow to obey? question is to ask ourselves honestly do i have a scarcity mindset or an abundance mindset or where are the places that i still have a scarcity mindset morning when um, I met with Lynn and during their uh, worship time early earlier this morning felt a sense of just God bringing breakthrough and I think some of us have been experiencing that already this morning whether through worship or maybe uh, through some of the things I was sharing God's highlighting some things for you and um, there's lots of things I love about this church one of them is that repentance is seen as a good word that we we recognize repentance brings life, and it brings freedom, and oftentimes repentance precedes breakthrough. And so, as you repent of some of these things, trusting that God's bringing some breakthrough for you in in different areas of your life. So, Lord, we ask. That you would meet our repentance with breakthrough. In the areas where you're calling us to obey, you would give us courage. As we turn from a scarcity mindset to one of abundance, we would trust your provision for us. when you're ready i invite you to celebrate communion you know jesus's body represented by the cracker the bread and his blood represented by the juice is a reminder that the bridegroom has laid down his life for the bride to present him to present us to himself pure and holy and without blemish It's a reminder that our bridegroom provides everything that we need. That his life has gone to death and back. His love has gone to death and back for us. In the near future, we're going to be bringing our ministry teams back. But um, in the meantime, I want to encourage you: if God's telling you to do something this morning, do it. If you, if God's highlighting somebody to give them a word of encouragement, go give them that word of encouragement. If there's a, if you think God might be highlighting something to pray for them, ask them if you can you can pray for them. Maybe you have a sense somebody's got a physical need. And, you know, have the courage to go up and ask if that's true and if you can, you can pray for them. We still have, uh, still have some time, but if you want to encourage you, just continue sitting uh, with the Lord. But if you have kids in the children's ministry and want to go pick them up, you're released to do so. that if you want to linger, you're more than welcome, but um, just want to release you, go encounter the love and power of God and give it away to the world. Amen.